One of the tragic realities of life is death, and it's real and it's certain. We also have the assurance that when Jesus gloriously returns, there'll be a spectacular resurrection of those who have died in the Lord. According to the New Testament, they'll be resurrected with brand new, healthy bodies. But until that resurrection, we grieve as we watch friends and loved ones die. In today's program, with two gifted pastors, Anthony Medley and Chad Stewart, we're going to discuss how to minister to the grieving. You're watching Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. As soon as you hear of a, a death in your congregational communities, what's, what's the first thing that you typically do and what's the first thing you'd like your congregations to do? Well, well typically um, the shock of death requires an immediate response. So typically the first thing I will do is try to get to the home, get to the family, mm -hmm and uh, contact individuals who also may be close to uh, the family who has lost a loved one. Right. I do likewise. I make a phone call. I go on a visit. It depends really on the individual, where they're at, um, their age, the circumstances of the death. Was this something that was expected, unexpected? Uh, I analyze a lot of those things, in it, but you make some sort of immediate contact. In regards to the congregation, when they learn of it, you really want them to begin praying for the family and, and even reaching out to the family. It's always wonderful when you, when you show up somewhere and they say, oh, the church has already reached out to us and people are already asking if they can bring food or whatever the casseroles else casseroles got there. There's already, the casseroles beat the pastor, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's always great when the members That's, show up like that. Yeah. That's good. Now, when it comes to the, the funeral service itself, What's, what's the bottom line that you're trying to achieve with that funeral service? Well, you, you want to give hope to the family. Um, you know, death is anchored in the promise of a resurrection. So, so the bottom line is you have individuals who are at different places in the grieving process. Uh, but the commonality is that everyone needs hope. So, so you're trying to create an environment, an opportunity to let the family know that they, there is hope, they are loved, they are supported by the community, and uh, we want to be present. There's, there's the ministry of presence that matters most uh, in the journey of death, especially when it happens immediately. Mm, mm. And, and comfort, you know, like there's, yeah. we, we've all, I guess, not only conducted funeral services, but we've had to attend them as, yes, as people. Yes. And to find that comfort as well, that's, it's nice to have that support, isn't it? Yeah. I. A lot of times I try to, to focus on a lot of the good memories to bring the comfort aspect of things. Uh, there's scriptures, of course, that bring comfort, but really what I find that people are sometimes most comforted with is that, is that joyful memory that they, that they have with that family member. Right. 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 And coming to the, 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 the service itself, okay, what are, what are the key components that, 
that you would see as, as an essential and a, a vital part of a service? It, it always varies, in, in my opinion, uh, to what the family really wants and desires. I've been uh, in services where literally the family said, you know, we don't want any music. We just want a, a simple eulogy. We're going to show a slideshow maybe, and, and that's it. Um, recently being involved with one, they said, make sure no one reads, reads the life sketch uh, because the life sketch printed, no one needs to read it. Everyone can read it <laughs> themselves. So, I mean, it, I really go based on what the family uh, desires, and it, and it varies, but um, sometimes it can be quite elaborate, sometimes it can be quite simple. Yeah, exactly. And, and I would agree with that. Um, the family does determine the direction that you're going into. They, yeah. they should have the final say Absolutely. in terms of what they're looking for. Um, and at the same time, there are cultural variances that we have to consider also. Um, depend upon the person who, who died, uh, how popular they were, how involved with the church they were. If they were musical, then you already know what kind of service you're going to have. Yeah. So um, it's still at its core is trying to adhere to the best practices for the family based upon what the family wants and still giving guidance to that because sometimes, you know, services in some communities can be very extracted and are very long services. And others, you can get a, an hour or less service and you praise the Lord for that. There's some, you're there for four hours and onwards. So, so you have to balance that delicate um, context between uh, taking care of what the family needs and wants and also trying to be respectful of time and those that are involved. And that becomes a difficult dynamic at times. And people are more patient with the time aspect of things I find when it's a, a younger person or when it's, when it's um, something very tragic in the sense of an unexpected event, right. then those services in my context have typically gone longer and there's no feeling of this is too long. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, and so, so there's, there's variances on that too. Yeah. 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 And realizing that the, the cultural issues and the age issues, but often we're called upon to to offer some advice or guidance, particularly in terms of music. Mm -hmm. what, what what are some general principles that, that you adhere to with with music during a, a funeral service? Well, music matters a lot in times of death. Um, it really sets a tone. It, it really it? does set a tone. So music yeah. is, for the most part, critically important um, because the hope and the messaging comes through the music. Um, you know, often families will have individuals who they would like to perform. So you want to honor that as much as you can mm -hmm. also. And then there's opportunities for the congregation to participate in, in songs that the family selects. Um, so it's, a, it's an important element uh, to the funeral service to have the appropriate music that conveys the message of hope and ties into the wishes of the family and brings comfort or joy to them. It could be a favorite song that a grandmother used to sing at home or, or some other kind of song that makes a difference there. Yeah. I, I've had families ask me, well, what hymns do you think we should have? And I always try to tell them, we want something that's singable, you know, because yeah. there, there, I have been to places where there's some obscure hymns that have been chosen and there's nothing like when people are crying and trying to sing, then trying also to sing a song that they don't know. Yeah. When it's one of those songs that everyone can sing, it brings a warmth to, uh, to, the, to the service. And I also like to sing some of those classics that a lot of people know because 
Many times people come to a funeral and that's the only worship service they're going to. And that connects them back to that connection they had when they attended church maybe as a child and it's something that they can they can sing and so so I try to encourage the the singable songs I would say that that people can can relate to. Yeah you you know and in some of the funerals I've conducted they've been for unchurched people Mm -hmm. and if, if they don't know a hymn or a Christian song the last thing I want to be doing is singing a song. Congregation. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. So yes. In, in that way, it's, yes. for me, music is not a mandatory part. It, right. it can be comforting right. in the right context, but it, it can't be mandatory in, in that sense. And a lot of people now will choose music in regards to the slideshow, and that will be like in a, maybe a more secular setting that, that they have that with the slideshow. And, uh, and also it varies on what church you're at because... I've been at churches where we had no singers and you didn't want to, if they say, well, do you have someone that could sing? You didn't want to suggest someone that mm-hmm. would get you in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always nice to have yeah. someone that, yeah. that can sing. And, and it's no easy thing to, to actually sing a solo at a funeral. No, it's you not. Know, to volunteer somebody. Mm-hmm. So again, music, we, we need to be sensitive yeah. to, to the needs and the situation. So, mm-hmm. When we come back after the break, I want to talk about the actual message that you like to or that you've found yourself delivering at a funeral service and what you're trying to achieve with that specific message. Okay. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is Ministering to the Grieving, and our guests, Chad Stewart and Tony Medley. Now, let me, let me ask you, <coughs> words are spoken at funeral events. With the words that you speak, what, what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to convey? Well, um, I think that the eulogy or the message, first of all, I'm, I'm very conscious of the time. Right. Uh, I, I don't think that a protracted, long eulogy is necessary. In uh, your context, Tony? In, in my context, because the service itself is normally full. There are, there are a lot of elements in the service. So in my context, uh, I think of 20 minutes of kind of the guiding timeline uh, for, for, for the eulogy. And um, I'm trying to convey a, a Christ-centered, biblical message of comfort and hope to the family. Yeah. That's kind of where, where I'm headed with that. I don't use that to preach the 28 fundamental beliefs or to guilt trip someone into joining the church, but I try to present a Christ who is available, a Christ who is there, uh, who understands your pain, your suffering, your grief. Who's uh, experienced it. Who's experienced and who promises that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Wow. So that's kind of the messaging with the blessed hope of the second coming of Christ. Uh, I, I believe I do likewise. Again, it, it depends on the, the, the individual. Uh, when I've done people that I know very well, say a family member or a close friend even of myself, I often will be able to roll more of their story because I know them and the, the things about them into the message and personalize it probably at a deeper level than I could otherwise right, right. And, and tie that all together. But always, I always conclude, my conclusion to everything is, is to try to bring hope in some way. And I try to be sensitive not to, to preach people into heaven and also not to badger people with, uh, with guilt or, or of that nature, things of that nature. And, and time for you, Chad, what's in your context? 
So varying, varying. I mean, so so typically within our context, we usually do about 12 to 15 minutes probably uh, for a eulogy. Mm -hmm. And again, it, if you if you know someone more and the people know that you knew that person, then you right. can go longer right. because they understand the relationship aspect. You're building that into it. But when it's when it's solely um, when it's an individual maybe you're not as familiar with, probably we're, we're looking at 12 to 15 minutes. And I have a lot of families say to me, Pastor, keep it short, you yeah, know, right. and that's, that's what we, in our context, we prefer. Sure, sure, Because yeah, sure. sure. it is a demanding time for the family, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like they're, 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 they're almost, the, the grief is very public, mm -hmm. typically in a funeral. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's emotionally and it's physically very draining. Yeah. Well, well, not only that, um, not only is it public, you know, it, it's it's an honor to be invited to share in the public grief. Mm -hmm. So so we can't minimize that. Mm -hmm. Individuals really don't have to open up and allow a congregation mm -hmm. and others to come. So we have to respect the fact that this family is grieving openly mm -hmm. and they've invited us to be a part of that grief with them. That's mm -hmm. a that's a sacred and important um, time for us to respect and to make sure we bring dignity and honor to what to the family and to that time period. Yeah. And I try to always encourage families to understand that this is this is this is for them and we're all there for them right. and the congregation is there for them because you'll have families say, well, someone may want to do this or right. or we want to be sensitive to these people and I say, look, we're here for you. Even the people that are attending, they're they're here for you yes. to honor your family member, to honor your grief and and we want to be sensitive to that. And so it's okay if you say, we don't want that, or, yep. or we'd rather just have this uh, aspect of things, you know, uh, then, then, then that's, that's okay. It's, it's, it's up to you. We're here for you in, in this journey. So. so I guess what we've been talking about so far has been in a funeral home context or a, a, a church context. Let's come to the graveside. Mm -hmm. um, you're still conducting services at grave sites? Yes, oh, yeah. yes yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Tell, walk us through that. What, what's, what's the context with that? Well, you know, we have several factors where we live. First of all, you have weather-related mm. issues that could uh, change a, uh, a planned graveside ceremony based upon snow, rain, and, and the et cetera. And I don't know what it is about cemeteries, but if there's a cold place, if there's a hot place, if there's a windy place, it always yes. seems it's to be there. So you have to take that into consideration. And again, it differs depending upon the family, depending upon the culture. Mm. Um, sometimes it takes you longer to get to the gravesite than the actual service that takes place at the gravesite. It could be something as a scripture, a prayer, a song, a committal, and um, a departure. Um, others want to stay. They want not a song, uh, they want a repertoire of 10, 15, all their favorite songs. And, and families who don't want to leave the graveside until the casket is lowered into the ground and completely covered. Um, so there are those who will stay there for an extended amount of time and still stay behind there. And sometimes you have to help family members when you know the culture or the grief where they are to help them to transition uh, the process. You're not, you don't want to minimize their pain at all, but you want to help them to come to grips with the reality of their pain and help their pain to move along because uh, individuals can't stay there all day and night. Yeah. And there are some individuals, there is a family member for whatever reasons who want to stay there, who does not want to leave at all. 
So at those times, you still got to be helpful yeah. and sensitive uh, to the family. So it, it varies, I would say, um, depending upon the family, the context, um, the season, uh, the weather, and uh, all those things you have to consider at the graveside ceremony. Yeah, we're, we're speaking to pastors, and I think that that in a lot of these things that we're talking about, pastors needs, need to be sensitive to, to all those things. I was at a service just this last year, and it was freezing cold, and I was not conducting. I was just there as an sure. attendee, and this pastor decided he just wanted to go, and, and some people started to leave because it was just so cold, and, and we need to, as pastors, be mindful that that. It's not about us. It's not about what we had planned to say or what we want to do. And you're really respectful to, to the culture and to ministering to them in that in that yeah, setting. Sure, so. Sure. so an important thing there is, is is to to plan for for those contingencies. Yeah. For for, for rain, for extreme weather, whether hot or cold, mm -hmm. and yes. and just be prepared for. Yes. It. And even plan yeah. for the reactions of the family. You don't always know. You have different moments with the with the family, and sometimes they'll communicate something to you and. And things shift. They may come to you at the last moment and say, you know what, so-and-so, they really, the grandma, she really wants to stay by mm -hmm. and make sure that we watch this. And, and we don't want to make everyone stay by. And so you may say something like, uh, at this time, those who would like to remain by while right. the casket is lowered, you can do so. Otherwise, we'd ask those who desire to to uh, leave quietly. And, and those things can change like that. And yes. you have to be prepared for that moment. It's being sensitive to the needs and the situation, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and being aware. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we know that grieving doesn't just stop at the graveside. Mm -hmm. right. It continues right. on. And we want to talk about ministering beyond the funeral. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back with, with sure. more of that. So stay with us. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today is ministering to the grieving and our guests, Anthony Medley and Chad Stewart. Now, pastors, the, the grieving clearly doesn't stop when you say amen at a funeral. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, do you, what do you do beyond the funeral? And perhaps you could even talk us through like a, a visitation schedule, how you, how you minister from, from even the time of death and through the, the funeral services and, and beyond that. I think Pastor Tony has a little bit uh, uh, longer system that, uh, that I'm interested in hearing about. But for us, I would just say that one of the things that I do is even in preparation for the funeral, I begin to prepare the family that, that it becomes even more difficult when all of this settles down. You're busy with the funeral. There's guests around. There's food coming. And then everyone goes away and they go back to their lives and you're stuck with this reality that this person you loved is gone. And, and so I try to prepare people for that and I, and I talk to them about, do you have a support group around you? What can the church do for you? And, and then we try to make sure that we follow up through visitation and through uh, uh, check-in points throughout the time. And then also remembering, you know, a year later, that that loved one has passed. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, that's the goal, what, what Chad has uh, recommended, is what we try to do. There, there are a few things, I think, for pastors to know. First of all, utilize the funeral director. 
Mm. Um, that's a resource person, especially for a pastor who's by themselves that are uncomfortable with this process. That funeral director director is a great help to you. Mm -hmm. um, in, in my context, and in Chad, we, we have team, we have uh, staff that helps us. I have a faith community nurse who focuses just on the grieving process after the funeral. And for us, it's a 13-month process because, as Chad mentioned, uh, the person is alone. And if this is their first loss, they really don't know what to anticipate, what's going to take place. If it was a couple who've lost um, um, a loved one and they don't have a family system around, sometimes they don't even know how to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So we have to help them in that process. And, and, and how do you do that? Well, and that's the ministry of presence. That's mm -hmm. being in tune with them. That's anticipating, knowing, connecting, connecting knowing yeah. the next steps that they're going to go through. Uh, sensing when they're in denial or when there's guilt or there's anger or disappointment and really helping that person through the despair steps. So our 13-month process is an intentional process of connecting uh, individuals with this person to journey with them um, over. And we use a 13-month period because that anniversary, that 12-month, Mm -hmm. is often a very difficult time also, the anniversary of the person's death. Mm -hmm. So we try to take that even beyond that. Because through that year, look, you passed through all the significant holidays that that loved one was there with you. Now the person is no longer there with you. What do you do to the, with those, that timeline? So our process is really to connect with individuals during the anniversaries, during the birthdays, during the holidays, during the anniversary of the death, and to carry them beyond that. And 13 months is just a... It's kind of a window time, but grief doesn't always end in 13 oh, months. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's endless depending upon the individual. Yeah. So it's a protracted process exactly. that we have to be committed to be incarnational and in relationship with the individual to help them through the process. Yeah. And this is this this can be a tremendous evangelistic tool actually. Yes. Um, because you build a relationship with someone through those things. They're they're expecting the church to go away or uh, there's a lady back in California when I used to pastor. Sometimes I still reach out to her. I don't do it every year, but sometimes I still reach out to her. And I remember because her daughter died the day my oldest son was born. And so I recall that. I remember that. And so sometimes I'll still reach out. And she became more connected to the church by that continual right. engagement. Right. Yeah. So what, listening to you, you, you're really describing here, it's, it's not just the, the pastoral responsibility. It's a congregational Absolutely. ministering opportunity mm -hmm. to, to, to those that are grieving. Yeah. Now, sometimes when, when we can be really close to, to somebody in our community and we're asked to conduct the funeral for them, have you been in the situation where you, you might have sensed you've been a, a little too close to them to, to, and you actually need to be the recipient of the ministry rather than the, the, the giver of it? Sure. I, I would say early in my ministry um, that I felt that I had to be all things to all people, even your own family. That was a mistake. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're allowed to grieve too. Uh, we're, we're allowed to take the other role and to be the son, the nephew, or whatever it is. And I think there are times when we as pastors need to allow ourselves to grieve and just be a, a family member as opposed to being in charge. Now, I, I did discover in Chad maybe early in my ministry, I did that to try to um, squash my grief. Um, but, but now, individuals are too close. I have no problem of saying that as a pastor, I'm here as a family member or as a close friend, and that's the role I will take. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I still struggle with that 
<laughs> so I'll be honest, because um, much of my family is not connected to a church, and much of my many of my friends are not connected to churches, and so I found that that it's often been turned to sure, me. Sure. One of my best friends, one of my groomsmen, uh, committed suicide about three years ago, and. I literally couldn't stand when I heard about it, and after the service, I grieved, but his parents came to me and said, we need you, and so I put it in that, I stepped in, and, and, but it was the most miserable thing I've ever gone through in my life, and having to stand in front of those people was, was very challenging. So, so I agree with, with Anthony, and if there is another person that could do it, it'd be great, but, but sometimes, and I agree with Chad. It's it's yeah. it's it's you. Yeah. It's you. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. And 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 that's that's but that's a that's yeah. a hard yeah. hard hard thing. Yeah. Now we've got to finish up now. But yeah. there's something I'd like to say in conclusion. I, I've found personally that conducting funerals is really quite emotional and draining as a pastor, and it's important to take a little bit of time to recover from conducting major services like this. So mm -hmm. I think it's important in ministry that we do allow a bit of yes. recovery time. Mm -hmm. so, yes. Yeah, yes. Just for yes. self-care. Gentlemen, colleagues, pastors, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In our program, Ministering to the Grieving with pastors Anthony Medley and Chad Stewart, eight important points emerged. First of all, immediate contact with the family is critical when there's been a significant loss. The second point was, the purpose of a funeral service is to give comfort, support, and hope in the resurrection. Our third point was, key components of a funeral service vary from being elaborate to very simple, depending on family preferences, cultural settings, and other circumstances. Our fourth point was about music. Music should be carefully selected and set the appropriate tone. The fifth point was funeral homilies should be brief, Christ-centered messages of comfort and hope. Our sixth point, when conducting a graveside service, be flexible and sensitive to the needs of the grieving and plan for weather contingencies. The seventh, grief doesn't stop with the funeral. Take time to prepare families for what's ahead. Anticipate needs and prepare the church for ministry to the grieving. And our final point was, pastors may need to take time for personal recovery after ministering in an emotionally intense environment. Thanks for watching Hope Channel and Ministry in Motion. Remember, you can access all the Ministry in Motion programs on demand for free at our website, ministryinmotion.tv. Until next time, may God bless you and your ministry. Bye for now.